know, everybody around him, he just elevates their game. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Mainline Podcast. Tyler Burton, Adam Jacquez, Corbin Poulsen, the entire gang is here tonight. We've got some crazy weather going on. I know that all three of us are in different locations right now, Colorado, uh, Oklahoma City, and down here in Norman. Uh, some crazy weather going on, but we've got a lot to get to tonight. A uh, game for the ages this past weekend down in Dallas at the Cotton Bowl. OU coming from behind to knock off Texas 55 to 48 in the Cotton Bowl. So, guys, let's uh, kind of get right down to it. But first, uh, we'll start with the weather. Corbin, how are things out in Colorado? Guys, it feels like uh, we have just combined, you know, every possible type of weather situation. Uh, I just saw a tweet and we have like a wind uh, warning, you know, for fires. We've got a winter advisor. We also have tornado watches. So it's kind of a mixed bag of uh, emotions in, in, uh, in the state of Colorado. But hey, growing up, up in Oklahoma, we're kind of used to this. So, no big deal. Yeah, speaking of weather, it looks like we're going to get a, a great game on Saturday against TCU, high of 68, uh, night game, so it might be a little cool uh, by the time kickoff rolls around, so I'm pumped. Uh, let's uh, let's get the rest of the season rolling, and let's, uh, let's win a championship again. It's kind of sad, looking back at it, we're halfway through college football season right now. There's only six games left in the regular season, so... Um, kind of a sad day when you go back and look at the schedule. It's half over. But uh, uh, no, we've got a really good show tonight. Uh, we're going to talk about OUTCU this upcoming weekend at 6.30 on primetime. Another night game kickoff here in Norman. It's uh, it's getting pretty getting pretty used to it by now. It's kind of nice. But we've got to start with the game that happened this past weekend down in Dallas, OU-Texas. Guys, where do we even want to begin? I mean, it was a tale of two halves. This wasn't just the greatest OU Texas I've ever been to. This is probably the greatest game that I've ever been to, period. Uh, it was an emotional roller coaster from, from start to finish. The buildup to this game was pretty unusual compared to what we've seen in the past because it kind of seemed like both fan bases really had no idea what was going to happen. I was talking to OU fans and Texas fans inside the fair. You know, what what were your thoughts? How do you how confident do you feel? And everybody's like, well, we think we're going to win, but honestly, we have no idea what's going to happen. So, uh, you know, it started out, Texas, you know, is going 75 yards on the very first play. They pluck a punt, uh, you know, 30 seconds after that, they go up 14 nothing in less than two minutes into the game. And, you know, just when you thought Oklahoma was going to get run out of the stadium after uh, Texas was going up 28-7 to in the first quarter, OU fights back, they get it to 38-20, to then Lincoln Riley Kind of pulls a Nick Saban, pulls his quarterback in, at a really critical point in the game. Uh, you know, big plays in the passing game. Kennedy Brooks went off. The defense held Casey Thompson and Bijan in the second half. And, you know, guys, OU went on a 32-7 to run in the final quarter and a half of that game. And, you know, Kennedy Brooks, the walk-off touchdown, it was the best environment that I've ever been at at a game. The 46,000 OU fans that made up that half of the Cotton Bowl was louder than any sold-out crowd that I've ever seen in Norman. And it was just crazy, and I can't believe we figured out a way to win it. Yeah, absolutely insane. I mean, just the nature of going down so heavy at the beginning to, you know, and it it felt like all of that, like you mentioned, all happened basically after the 2 minute 45 mark of the third quarter where the tide just turned so fast um, to the point where it was like, man, Texas is way back on their heels. Um, and, but, you know, there was just so much going on, so much in the fair, um, such a big game. I, I walked out of there thinking actually it was probably the second best game that I've ever been to. I put Bedlam 2017 up above it simply because it's a road environment. There was a ton of back and forth in that game. 
uh, whereas this one was really like all Texas at the beginning, then kind of a stalemate, you know, from the second to the third quarter, and then all OU in the fourth quarter. So um, that's why I ranked this one second in my mind. But, you know, maybe as time goes on, I'll, I'll bump it up a few notches. It's crazy to think that we're considering this the greatest, you know, OU Texas game of all time when just last year this was a four overtime game. Um, so the past two seasons of this, this rivalry have been quite nuts uh, on and off the field. Obviously, everything COVID related last year with half full stadium and all that stuff. But I mean, guys, it felt like it, uh, you know, watching on TV, you could tell that place was crazy um, and the emotional swings, you know. I'm really glad that Herb Street and Fowler were on the call because um, I think they did a phenomenal job kind of capturing what was taking place in that stadium and the, the, the grand momentum swings and emotions and everything that was flowing through. But I don't know if it's the, the greatest, uh, you know, OU Texas game ever. I had to probably put my, my research hat on a little bit uh, to confirm that one. But I tell you what, guys, as far as games that I've watched, the, the emotion swings and the momentum swings back and forth in that game were second to none. Um, It was, it was pretty insane, but you know, that's what this rivalry does. It puts you on your the edge of your seat the whole time. And uh, man, it didn't disappoint. But yeah, I, am, I was curious to hear both your thoughts about, you know, how the stadium environment was. And it sounds like it was uh, absolutely incredible. Adam, there was a four-play sequence towards the end of that football game. It was the third 19. Caleb Williams throws the bomb to Marvin Mims, scores that touchdown right there at the pylon. The next play, Spencer Rattler trots back out there after getting pulled earlier in the game. He gets the two-point conversion to Stoops and then right after that, Caleb Kelly gets the strip fumble from Xavier Worthy. And then the very next play to cap it off, Kennedy Brooks runs it in for us to take the lead after climbing all the way back from 28-7 to earlier in the first quarter. And, you know, that, that four-play sequence for me, outside of Kyle Field in 2013 when Johnny hit Mike Evans on that 95-yard touchdown, that was the loudest sequence in a football game that I've ever seen. And it was it was an incredible atmosphere. Um it was it was a it was an amazing from a standpoint when you have the emotional swings you know it was all Texas early on and then OU when they put Kate when Lincoln put Caleb Williams in there it kind of reinvigorated the fan base kind of reignited that passion and everybody was able to get behind this team and you know I thought that Teddy Lehman in his podcast with Gabe I thought he summed it up perfectly that's probably the biggest impact in quite some time that the fan base has had. Uh, in terms of deciding the overall outcome of a game. So shout out to Sooner Nation. It was fantastic. Yeah, it's, I mentioned before the game to uh, my cousin who I was at the game with, you know, it, it's always such a loud environment down at the Cotton Bowl with 46, 45,000 OU fans. Um, that it's kind of almost disappointing that we can't do that, you know, if not more at home with, you know, another 40,000 behind you. So, but, uh, you know, shout outs to the crowd. Like they stuck with it. I lost my voice. Um, my ears were ringing that evening, uh, because it was so insanely loud. And, um, I don't, I mean, I, I don't want to say like, I, I, I never lost faith necessarily, but I always thought, Hey, there's, there's probably a chance, you know, I've seen some crazy things before and, um, you know, just continue to stick with it and you never know what happens. And I think the team, you know, really took that on just based on seeing what we saw in the halftime. Um, but you know, like you bring up a good point on that, you know, those sequence of plays there, Tyler, and we're kind of burying the lead a little bit, but Spencer Rattler coming in and nailing that two point conversion that completely changed the game because, um, just the math of, you know, where everything was and how much you needed to come back by to tie the game just completely changed the whole strategy of everything going forward. I'm curious to hear, you know, what was the stadium like? when Spencer came trotting back on the field for that two point conversion, because for me at home, my hands were on my head saying, what are you doing? Like, 
you can't put him back in right now. And obviously I'm so glad that I got to, you know, eat my words, but I'm curious what that was like, you know, in the heart of it all. It was probably 46,000 people saying the exact same thing as what you did. A lot of what the hell are you doing? What is going on? No, don't put him back in there. Um, and also, well, did I think you hear Caleb, some boos, Tyler? I, I might have heard. Some I heard boos. a. I heard a few boos, and it was uh, tough. Might... But I, I guess I look at it and think like it's a two point conversion. You know, it's a special play. Like I, mm-hmm. I thought, okay, yeah, this is something that only Spencer can do. Sure. I guess maybe yeah. other people hadn't thought that through at that point, but. Well, I mean, and you've got to give Spencer a lot of credit for going out there and executing it. I mean, you know, shout out to Drake Stoops. It was a really good route, and Spencer put a great ball on him where only he was able to get it. So in that moment right there, Spencer Rattler, you know, getting pulled earlier in the game, him being able to stay focused, stay in, you know, stay in tune with what was going on in the game, and being able to deliver in that moment right there, I mean, that was just as big of a play as anything. What's amazing about that play, though, is Spencer made the harder throw. <laughs> That's, is, yeah. I, I hate yeah. dogging on the kid, but you got Stogner sitting there and he's got three yards before anybody's even close to him. And he's got to throw it to Stoops and Stoops has to make an incredible catch to bring it down. And it was great, but it was like, dude, it's just throw to the wide open guy. Like that's, you know, yeah. and looking back on the replay, I don't know if you guys could see it right away in the stadium, but when they showed replay, it was like, wait a minute, like Stogner's pretty damn wide open uh, right there. If you just can literally yeah. like, lob it to him with both hands and that would have been an easier play yeah i caught that on the replay and adam kind of one last thing to throw this over to you before you know just kind of putting a bow on talking about the overall impact of the fan base with about 30 seconds left in the first half i got out of my seat and i was going back up there to you know get a bottle of water go to the restroom and as halftime was starting the ou fan base just erupted it kind of seemed as the team was coming off the field. Were you able to, to check that out? Because down 18 points and we're giving this team a standing ovation. I've probably never seen that before. You're talking about um, at the start of the third quarter when the offense was going out? No, I'm talking about as the final seconds of the first half came off the clock. We were down 38 to 20. Texas goes in the locker room and as OU's about to walk up the tunnel, it seemed like the entire OU side of that stadium stood up and gave this team like a, basically a standing ovation. Hey, let's go. Uh, you know, we're still in this. I've never seen that before. I, I don't know if I necessarily read it as that more as the sense of, you know, both teams are going to go through the tunnel and OU fans are going to cheer for us. And when Texas team runs through there, they're going to boo uh, them. I didn't, I didn't see it that much. Although I could see it as a scenario where Caleb Williams had come in. I think he had run maybe one or two series at that point, And you kind of felt like, mm-hmm okay, like maybe he, we can see something special happen because, mm-hmm. you know, who knows what Caleb could be. We kind of know what Spencer is at this point. Well, I think that it really changed, you know, Caleb Williams getting inserted into the game right there in the first half. That 66-yard touchdown run that he had, when he scored and he came running over to the sideline, he ripped his helmet off and he screamed, you know, let's go. You saw how his teammates responded to that. It was unlike anything that we had seen so far this year when Spencer had made a play, and I hate to say it, You know, they were patting him on the back. They were fired up. And I think in that moment, you could tell that was kind of the changing of the guard. And even though Spencer went back out there for another possession or two, when Caleb was inserted into that game, particularly in the second half, he was a spark. He changed the attitude of that offense, that football team, and honestly, the Oklahoma fan base that was inside the Cotton Bowl on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, he energized everything. And I don't know if this really truly related to the defense. I'm sure they changed a few strategies along the way, but... 
they played better in the second half after Caleb mm-hmm. uh, came into the game as well. You know, everybody around him, he just elevates their game. Offensive line, mm-hmm. the running backs. Um, he actually, you know, throws it down the field to the receivers, gives them a chance to make a play. He throws catchable, you know, 50-50 balls and says, hey, my guys are better than yours. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like guys were fighting harder for him. And Corbin, I know that it probably, you weren't able to see it. I don't know how much they panned to the sidelines, but one of the things that really stuck out to me outside of Caleb's play on the field, but, you know, during TV timeouts in between series, uh, Caleb made it a point every single possession, whenever he came off onto the sidelines, he made it a point, go up there, you know, let's uh, getting with the offensive line group saying, let's go, we got this, going over to the receivers, dapping them up. And then honestly, Midway through the, the, the third quarter, after we score a touchdown, he runs right over to the defense, gets them hyped up, and then he runs all the way back down to the other sideline uh, to, to get the special teams group hyped up. So you can kind of tell that he's got that moxiness and he's got that it factor, um, and that's kind of one of the biggest differences that we've seen from a leadership standpoint uh, compared to what Spencer does. That was a, a huge thing. I mean, you could just tell even on TV that, that things just changed – the entire dynamic of the OU sideline changed because of Caleb Williams, right? And I don't even think he was the best player of the game. And I know we're going to get into that here in a little bit, but like you could just you could just tell. And, and what we've come grown accustomed to with Kyler, with Baker, with even Jalen, they all kind of had that that it factor about them. All very different in the in what that it was, but that's something. Even last year at, at the the great times we had under Spencer, you just you never felt that. The kid's incredibly talented. His arm talent is amazing. But you never felt like he could single-handedly kind of will a team to victory. Um, and Caleb did. You know, what my fear is with, with Caleb Williams, let's not do to him what we just got finished doing to Spencer. He is a true freshman. He made incredible plays. But if any of the those things go wrong, if Marvin doesn't come down with one of those balls, if his fumble before he throws to, to Mims in the back of the end zone doesn't get picked up and, and thrown on a dart, if Kennedy fumbles before his knee hits down on his, that long, if any of these small things go wrong, this game does not result in what just happened. It, it needed to be basically a perfect, almost perfect quarter and a half, and that's exactly what we got. And I don't want to discount the fact that it happened, but he's still a true freshman. He, he's going to make mistakes. Let's not make this game like his standard because that's going to be very, 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 very difficult for him to maintain week in and week out. So who knows who's going to start Saturday? I know we're going to get into that, but regardless of when Caleb's time comes, let's appreciate this. But let's not put him on the standard and the pedestal that we just did with Spencer Rattler because clearly that didn't work. Do I think Caleb has a better chance of handling that kind of expectation? Absolutely. But like, let's give this kid some grace because there will be a time when he stumbles, he makes bad decisions. That's going to happen at some point, most likely this year. Like, let's pump the brakes just a little bit on you know what we saw on Saturday. That's going to be an every week thing. And Adam, throwing this over to you, I think one of the things that really got OU fans excited and maybe why we have so much confidence in Caleb Williams is because there was not a bigger stage that Caleb Williams is going to, that he could potentially walk into in the regular season. I mean, you're talking OU Texas halftime, you're down 38 to 20, you get thrown into this game and you play the best that I've seen a quarterback play in that rivalry game in, in quite some time, especially that second half alone. So, um, Adam, what would you kind of make of Caleb's performance and, you know, kind of how that ties into what we think of Spencer Rattler now? 
Yeah, I mean, he, he certainly had a lot of help. Kennedy Brooks made his day a lot yes. easier, and I'm sure Caleb Williams made Kennedy Brooks' day a lot easier too. Yes. Uh, Marvin Mims made made Caleb Williams look really good on several throws. So it wasn't that um, you know Caleb necessarily came in and beat the Longhorns by himself, but he didn't make mistakes either, and he opened up the field for a lot of other guys and playmakers to come in there. I think best case scenario going forward, this is Trevor Lawrence replacing a Kelly Bryant situation and we go off and, and maybe he is really special and he wins us a national championship. I don't think that's out of the question, especially considering that, you know, if you're the top rated quarterback coming in, you know, you should be very capable at this point, whether you're a true freshman or a redshirt senior at that point, like you're capable of doing some really special things on the field. So let's hope that continues. And I think, you know, just with the way he's able to play and the, what he brings to the table is so much different than Radler, you know, specifically with his legs is he's a little bit bigger guy. Like he can make everybody around him look so much better. Yeah. Corbin to, 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 to throw this over to you. I, th- I can't remember which one of you it was. I put this in the group text over the weekend, but we were kind of looking at some statistics in terms of, you know, Spencer's performance in the, in that game versus Caleb's and, you know, Spencer had 31 plays offense did 151 yards, one touchdown and two turnovers flip it over to when Caleb was inserted into this game, 50 plays, 511 total yards, five touchdowns, zero turnovers. So the turnovers was the biggest thing for me. If Caleb Williams could take care of the football, that's already a step up. But then you also factor into it, um, his playmaking ability. He's got an elite arm, what he did in terms of opening up the running game. Um, I, it, there's a reason why OU fans have a lot to be excited about. I know pump the brakes a little bit. He's going to have some growing pains. He is a true freshman, but you've got to be excited about what this guy can do moving forward for this team. Just to kind of expand on that, I'm pulling this from a poster on Sooner Scoop, so I have not checked the information here. But uh, just looking at explosive plays, not counting the Western Carolina game, Rattlers had 303 snaps, four plays of 30 yards, three that have gone over 40 yards. Caleb has 52 snaps. He's got six over 30 yards and four plays over 40 yards. So, you know, that's a small sample size compared to Rattler, but certainly better results. It's a totally different element whenever you have to take into account a running quarterback. And that's just, yeah, crazy, right? It just, it completely changes the game. And, a guy who probably has slid under the radar, but all of a sudden looked a whole lot better whenever Caleb Williams got into the game was Eric Gray, right? That 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 option that they do where you can get Gray out there with speed looks a whole lot different when that backside linebacker has to stay on that backside. Um, and so it, it's just a completely different element. But I mean, guys, just I couldn't help but to feel the exact same way before Spencer got pulled last year at OU Texas. I mean, it was a bad interception. And then it was a bad fumble interception, I think maybe is what it was classified last year, but it, it was a fumble. Um, you, you just wonder if the, if the light's ever going to click on for the kid. And, and I, ha- I hate to say that because I think he really is talented. Um, but there's just something missing there. And, and I don't even necessarily know what that is. But you know it when you see it that they're like, that's just, it's just not yeah. there. And Corbin, we've talked about that, you know, leading up to this game and on multiple pod, uh, multiple episodes. I mean, when he got benched last year and Tanner Mordecai came out there, you knew, okay, Lincoln's going to sit Spencer down, give him a chance, you know, catch did his breath, know? you know. Did we? Did we really think that? Because oh, Mordecai went down the field and scored on, I think, the first drive that he had, and it was up for yeah, grabs. But, I mean, he could have seized the job at that point. I thought. 
And I think it just it just kind of goes to show whenever we talked about this, Caleb Williams is the type of talent, and there's so much expectations on his shoulders where if Spencer did get pulled and Caleb was given his chance to go out there and make plays, chances are Spencer wasn't going to get his job back afterwards because Caleb was going to play so well. And guys, kind of, you know, moving towards, you know, what we think is going to happen this weekend. I'm not going to be one of these, one of these, those guys, and this isn't going to be one of those podcasts that comes on here and, you know, bashes Spencer Rattler. Yeah, Spencer sucks. He's terrible. We can't win with him anymore. Get him off the field because, guys, that's simply not true. He's won his last 14 starts that he's been at the quarterback position. And while it didn't, he didn't take that next step forward this year like we expected him to. He's still a very talented quarterback when all the pieces that are around him are playing good football. He has a chance to shine. But guys, the problem with Spencer is that it has become abundantly clear that while he is a good quarterback, the true freshman that Lincoln recruited and brought in behind him is just better. Caleb's got elite arm talent. He's a dynamic runner. Spencer's not. I'm sorry. And to me, Caleb is as close to Baker Mayfield as we've seen from a moxie and leadership standpoint. I said that a second ago. And it was pretty damn obvious watching him on the sideline this weekend that the guys you know rally around this guy. They play with more energy. Uh, they play with more confidence, and they kind of have that swagger, you know, that we've seen from these dominant OU teams in the past. And you know, shout out to you know Eddie Radosovich in, in the sights and sounds, you know, capturing that post game reaction where uh, you know all the Caleb was celebrating with his teammates and all that raw emotion. It was clear as as night and day that this is Caleb's football team. Now, guys, this is a to, this is a tough situation. You have to really feel for Spencer. Uh, because, you know, Spencer lost his job and was basically fired on Saturday on national television in the biggest game of the year. From the moment that game was over, everybody's been saying, well, now it's obvious it's Caleb's the starter and Spencer should be second string. And while I completely agree with that, this is an odd little situation that Lincoln Riley kind of finds himself in now because if you bench Spencer, and by all indications that's probably going to happen on Saturday, you take the risk. You take the risk of him entering the transfer portal, and I'm not sure if he would enter the portal right away, uh, but you do have to think that that's a possibility, and that's the last thing you want to have happen because chances are you're probably going to need Spencer to make another play for you at quarterback this year. Uh, But guys, to me, as we sit here on Tuesday night of game week for TCU, this is not a hard decision. The hard decision for Lincoln was the one he made at halftime inside the Cotton Bowl on Saturday when he decided to keep Rattler on the bench and go with Caleb. This week, for me, it's not a hard decision. It's clear that this is Caleb's team, and Oklahoma was a completely different team in that second half. Yes, I know you're running on adrenaline, you're running on emotion. The offense played better. The running game got rolling. It's amazing, like you said, Corbin, it's amazing how much the offense can improve, especially the running game, when the defense has to respect the quarterback's threat to run the football. Uh, But when you combine that with the defense feeding off that energy, how downright dominant they were and holding Texas to 10 points in that half, Caleb was the difference maker for this football team, and he's got to be the one that takes that first snap on Saturday. Okay, so Tyler, so Williams is your starter Saturday. Yes. Do you think that is actually going to happen? Based on what we heard today from Lincoln Riley, kind of reading between the lines, yeah, I think that Caleb's going to be the guy. Adam? Yeah, who I would, would you start, and who do you actually think is going to start? Uh, I'm in the same camp as as Tyler. There, I mean, if you start Spencer, you really tell the rest of your team that you, you can play pretty much any way you want, and you're not going to lose your starting job. Uh, I think that's a dangerous road to go down. Um, and there are, you know, there's tons of rumors floating out about how Spencer's handling this. There's no, you know, truth to probably most of them, 
But if he is handling this poorly, um, then that's not something that you would want to reward either. Um, but I, I think you have to roll with Caleb because you also don't want to piss him off either and say, Hey, like there's nothing you can do to get this job, no matter how well you play either. And you don't want him to transfer for sure. And I also think it's not fair to Spencer too, because one, if you trot him out there first play on Saturday, I'm pretty sure the fan base is going to have a pretty negative reaction. Now, whether they're booing him, they're booing Lincoln, there's going to be some pretty disgruntled fans, but also at the same time too, you're doing Spencer a disservice by not putting Caleb out there to start with. If you thought that Spencer Rattler has been playing tight over the last couple weeks, he's going to be tighter than a drum on Saturday because he knows the first mistake that he makes, yep. he's out of there. If either Lincoln's going to pull him or the the fan base is going to be calling for his head. So, I think, you know, Caleb Caleb helped you win that game on Saturday. He brought you back. And to me, this offense is playing so well right now in that half that we saw him out there and you got to give him the sh- uh, the first crack at it on Saturday. I have this strange feeling that Rattler is going to be trotting out on that field to start the game. I hope I'm wrong. I just have this weird feeling that Lincoln's loyalty is going to get in the way of what actually needs to, to be done. Because if you think about it, he Baker was a transfer. Kyler was a transfer. Jalen was a transfer. This is Lincoln's first guy that's his, that he recruited, that he brought in. Supposed to be Heisman, supposed to lead this team to a national championship, be the number one you know NFL draft pick. Guys, it has been anything but that this season so far i just i just i hope i'm wrong but i just have this strange feeling that lincoln's going to stick with his loyalty and spencer rattler is going to be out there and i think you're spot on tyler i think he's going to do the kid a disservice by doing that because if you thought the atmosphere was bad towards him during the west virginia game even the texas game i mean you're throwing him into a lion's den if you if you trot him out what's sad is is he probably had his best game of the year a week before. And we actually were like pretty optimistic heading into Texas that like, okay, maybe he's turned a corner. Maybe he starts to groove it. You can't forget that, that he had a really good game in Manhattan. I just feel like, I feel like Lincoln's loyalty is going to win here. And I feel like Rattler is going to win out, even though I think it's the wrong decision. Adam, I know you were on the opposite sideline on Saturday, but it was pretty apparent to you that when Caleb was thrown into that situation when Lincoln said, okay, you're my guy. Let's, you know, let's finish this game out. The team changed from a mentality standpoint, from an intensity standpoint, an energy standpoint. It's got, it's got to be Caleb on Saturday because to me, I know it's, he's only played, you know, less than three quarters of football, but I think that he gives Oklahoma the best chance to win a, to win a national championship. Is, am I going too far in saying that right now because of how well, the rest of the team played whenever he was made the guy and it kind of opened things up offensively. I've said before the season and during the season that I think Caleb Williams can help this team right now, but the idea of what Spencer Rattler could become is what this team needs, I think, to win a national championship still. Um, Now that's starting to change based on what I'm seeing from Caleb Williams and what I'm not seeing from Spencer Rattler because we haven't seen mm-hmm. him progress. We haven't seen him take the next the next step and get to that next level. And maybe, you know, the, the offensive line might not just be good enough for Spencer Rattler to have success. Um, whereas with Caleb Williams, he can mask a lot of deficiencies there. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe he is the guy to roll with uh, long-term. And I don't know how you could see what happened in the Cotton Bowl and let your own pride get in the way of saying, hey, this is my first guy. I really want to, you know, 
make it work, especially when you have your next guy right here that is the leader that the team is rallying behind. Um, and so I, I don't know what you really gain from that. Um, I don't see the angle of, hey, let's keep Spencer Radler happy when we're already halfway through the season. He doesn't have very much incentive to leave in the middle of the year unless he just is a complete you know, selfish hothead that some people think he is. I, I don't necessarily think I'm all the way there on that, but I just don't think there's anything really to gain from putting Spencer back in the game and starting him. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point. And Corbin, you hit the nail on the head. You know, Rattler, you know, he's Lincoln Riley's baby. You know, he's the first quarterback that he recruited out of high school and brought into Norman. So um, it, it's going to be an interesting situation. I can't wait for 630 to get here on Saturday to figure out what's going to happen. So, uh, but guys, let's kind of move on to uh, stock up, stock down for this team. Um, let's start with stock up. Corbin, I'll throw it over to you and then Adam, uh, follow up with him. I mean, Caleb Williams, maybe a little stock up. Uh, is that too, too stereotypical? Kennedy Brooks stock up. I mean, guys, I mean, everybody who, who shined on Saturday, it's pretty obvious. Um, but you can't take away with how poor some of those, those players were in the first half either. So great second half, but like take the whole game as a whole. Hopefully these guys can kind of ride the momentum of, uh, what we saw in the second half, those two in particular. I'm going offensive line as a unit here, uh, simply yep. because Caleb Williams saved them from getting two more sacks on their on their record. Uh, Kennedy Brooks looks so much better, simply because you have that true option in the dual threat. So I think they're not only gelling and getting better each and every game, but if Caleb Williams is the guy, they're getting a huge boost going forward. They're going to look a whole lot better. Yeah, couldn't agree with you more. Kennedy Brooks is one that I also had um, on offense for me. Um, I, I've got Marvin Mims. You know, Corbin, we I got to kind of poke a little bit of fun at you. He was one the wide receiver position was one you were concerned about last week, yeah. not thinking that we you know truly had a wide receiver number one. And Marvin Mims showed up on Saturday, two big time catches. OU doesn't win that football game without his performance in the second half. Um, so yeah, stock up for me on offense is uh, definitely going to be Marvin Mims. Flipping it over to defense in terms of stock up. I've got to go with Nick Benito. Yes, he only had one and a half tackles for loss. Yes, he only had one and a half sacks on the day, but he just abused Texas's tackles, both on left and the right side. I thought he had a, a uh, an outstanding game. You know, he really improved his draft stock. You know, Kirk Herbstreit, you know, pointed it out on the broadcast that Nick Benito, that performance, he made himself a lot of money on Saturday. So uh, really excited about Benito. Should be a good player to watch uh, as we move on uh, later in the year. Yeah, uh, I guess if I have to pick one for defense, I guess I'll go with Woody Washington. He hasn't played in a while, but <laughs> and we see the need for him. And uh, so when he gets back, hopefully he's fully healthy because we need someone that can take down that other side of the field. Yeah, I have a feeling I know who your stock down is, Adam. Um, but yeah, Danny Stutzman for me uh, and Ethan Downs. When those two are on the field and they get quality reps, the defense is different. Um, they bring a, a motor to the defense that is special. Um, I think we're going to be really excited about those guys. They can stay healthy for, you know, the next few years. Yeah. Stock down for me on defense. Um, I think Xavier Worthy just scored again. Um, so I'm going with Jaden Davis on this one. I mean, it, that, this was the first time that we played a competent offense that had a, you know, real down threat pa passing attack and Texas really, you know, highlighted what our weakness is on this football team. And it's got to be in the secondary. So, uh, hopefully we can get that cleaned up, but yeah, Jaden Davis, Tough day for the uh, Florida product. Yeah, I piled on him last week, so I'll leave him alone for, for this week. <laughs> um, my stock down, I guess I'm going a little bit unusual here. I'm going Joe John Finley. 
he's not a player. He's the coach uh, at this point. Um, Jeremiah Hall is kind of his responsibility, I guess. Um, he's kind of that hybrid in between running backs and tight ends, H back there. But Brayden Willis, Austin Stogner have just not really done anything this year. And both those guys are very capable. Um, Stogner, yes. I I like Brayden Willis. I think he's your best H back out um, in terms of the passing game. Yeah, but, I, I'm not impressed with Stogner at all. I had him in my stock down category. Yeah, but still, I mean, neither of them have really done anything to this point um, receiving-wise. So I just yeah. would like to see a lot more there. Yeah, yeah I mean, Jaden Davis was the obvious one, guys. I mean, I texted you guys that three or four times in the group chat during the game, and that's all that needed to be said, Jaden Davis. Like, mm-hmm. he gave up big play after big play after big play. At some point, you got to trot somebody else out there because it can't and- get any worse. And I know that he put, you know, Grinch put Latrell McCutcheon out there. You know, he gave up his fair share of big plays, particularly when he was covering Joshua Moore. But at the same time, too, if it's neck and neck, if both guys are, you know, somewhat, you know, equal in talent level, put the young guy out there. We know what Jane Davis is up to this point. Give Latrell McCutcheon some more reps. Let him kind of develop into that and grow into that role as a starting corner. But um, that's really all I have in terms of stock up, stock down. I mean, if you do one other stock up, I think that our front seven in the second half with Stutzman and Asamoa as your two starting Mike and Will linebackers, I think that that's your best linebacker combination. And I think with those guys inserted into the lineup to go along with that offensive line or that defensive line, pretty scary stuff. And you got to be excited for your Alex Grinch. The only other stock down I would have is uh, Sarkeesian's uh, ability to get B. John Robinson the ball in the second half. Like, what the hell happened? I mean, he like you should have fed him and fed him and fed him and fed him. We didn't stop him the entire first half, and the kid disappeared in the second half. And I think give give the OU defense some credit, but then he just he just disappeared. There were no play calls trying to get him the ball, and it was beyond bizarre. Yeah, six touches yeah. over four possessions in the second half, only one reception on the day. That's mm-hmm. that's a coaching failure there to not get yep. him the ball more. Yeah, I mean, hell, he averaged 6.9 yards at carry. So it, it almost kind of felt like Sark kind of bought into the storyline of Casey Thompson being a part of this game with the OU connection, wanted to put him into a situation where he can win the football game for you. But um, I, I don't know. If, if you're a Texas fan, I can see why you're shaking your head in terms of Sark's coaching yep. decisions in the second half, especially as it relates to B. John Robinson. But um, guys – it was a big weekend in the Cotton Bowl, a big week in the Big 12. You know, OU, they've, you know, they've got their foot, you know, pretty well cemented in that first place role. Um, but, guys, I just kind of want to get your quick thoughts on college football. Um, and, Adam, what do you have for that? Yeah, so just looking at that in regards to, you know, uh, the overall scene there, uh, we certainly want to look at who OU, you know, if we make it to the playoffs. we still got a long way to go, but – the picture is getting a little bit smaller, a little bit smaller every single week. Alabama took a loss to AM unexpectedly. A lot of people think they're out at this point because they think Georgia's going to be able to beat them in the SEC championship game. I'm not on board with that yet, but it's one step closer to saying, hey, let's knock out one of Alabama or Georgia so that OU doesn't have to face them in the first round type of game. And looking around the rest of college football, you've got a lot of unusual suspects. Wake Forest is, you know, the pole leader in the ACC. Iowa and Michigan and Michigan State are the poll leaders in the Big Ten. Pac-12 might be able to get in in Oregon, Arizona State. Who knows? Cincinnati's, you know, right up there. So um, there's there's a little bit of a glimmer of hope as far as what OU could see in a first-round matchup in the playoffs. Uh, maybe seeing one of those opponents, even if they are undefeated like a Michigan State or a Michigan, you know they have less talent than what OU has. So you got to like where this is heading, uh, you know, as far as potential matchups. It's been a bizarre year so far. 
uh, maybe one of the more bizarre years I've watched in college football. It seems like nobody's safe week in, week out. To me, guys, there's an obvious one right now. It's Georgia. They are one to me, and it's it's not that close. And I think anywhere between like 2 and 16, depending on the week, any of them could beat any of them. Um, and so it, it's been kind of kind of weird. But I'm also not overly confident that if – I mean, you kind of saw it with Clemson. If Georgia goes up against a good defense, they may only need to score 21, 24 points against Georgia to beat them. And I know that's easier said than done, but, like, that offense isn't anything crazy. It's the defense that's really carrying Georgia. Now that defense is really salty. Um, but if they have an off day, if you get the right play calls, the right coaching, the right matchups, they're beatable. So it, it's pretty bizarre what's going on. Um, but everything's wide open for OU to do exactly what we hoped. As much frustration and confusion as we have had through six weeks of this season, 6 and no. You know, so. yeah, yeah. I mean, the the chance for absolute chaos is is still out there, guys. I mean, with Alabama, Ohio State, and Oregon all having one loss, Cincinnati's undefeated, OU's undefeated, Georgia's undefeated. I think that there's a very real possibility, and I tweeted this out on Sunday when looking at the the AP poll and kind of trying to forecast how the rest of the season is going to play out with conference championships and the rest of the regular season. There's a very real possibility as it sits today that if the season plays out the rest of the way like we think it's going to. You could have six to seven teams on Selection Sunday that could have a legitimate argument on why they should be in the top four. And my last little thing in terms of the, the overall landscape of college football, i got to give Texas A&M some credit. I mean, you know, congrats to the Aggies knocking off number one Alabama. I picked Alabama on my betting card last week to cover the 17.5, and, and boy, was I wrong. That was a big win for that program, and it's always great for college football when Alabama goes down. But, guys, you got to kind of poke fun at A&M because this was such a Texas A&M thing to do the time where they finally beat Alabama for the first time since Johnny, you do it after you've lost the last two weeks to Arkansas and Mississippi State, and you're virtually out of the college football playoff discussion. It's just so fitting that a program that the year you finally get over the hump, you screwed yourself over by losing to two inferior teams. So, Yeah, love it. Uh, do want to throw this out there because I texted it to you guys uh, the other day. Stuart Mandel's college football playoff projections has Georgia – and Cincinnati in the Orange Bowl, which I think that's a great matchup for Cincinnati, actually. And then Oklahoma versus Michigan State in the Cotton Bowl. While I personally don't want to play Michigan State in the playoffs, you know, you got to love seeing the, a team like that over on the other Why? side. Uh, no, no particular reason. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, just like that's the pathway, I think, for OU to win a championship. You know, win out, get that number two seed, play a three seed that's maybe not used to be in the playoffs, that doesn't have as much yeah. talent. And then, you know, if you play Georgia in the championship game, so be it. You play that game and you just, you know, they may be uh, that much better of a team. If they are, you know, hats off to them. You know, maybe a ball bounces your way. We've seen some crazy uh, bowl games. Uh, we've seen Trevor Knight went, beat Bama. So anything could happen. But to get there, we got to get past TCU this weekend. And I think there's going to be some interesting challenges there. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, TCU is, you know, it, it's definitely not a team that Gary Patterson, it's not one of his better teams that he's had, but there's still um, there's still quite a bit of, uh, you know, options and different things that's got to make you frustrated if you're an OU fan uh, in terms of what to expect. So, um, guys, in terms of when TCU has the football on Saturday, TCU has the Big 12's number three ranked scoring offense, averaging over 38 points per game. And, guys, it really starts with them up front. They're averaging 450 total yards a game. 236 of those are coming off the ground. They found a kind of a two-headed monster 
at the running back position. And Zach Evans and Kendra Miller both are averaging over 100 yards a game. Kendra Miller's coming off his uh, best game of his career, Texas Tech. He had 185 yards on just 12 carries and three scores. So um, if you're if you're Oklahoma, you've got to you've got to kind of got your work cut out for you. I mean, this will be the third straight week where Oklahoma's had to face a very very talented running back. Obviously, Deuce Vaughn at K State, Bijan this past weekend, and now having to deal with Zach Evans and Kendra Miller. Um, you've got to be able to stop the running game, force Max Duggan, who through five games is just completing 64% of his passes. You've got to force him to be able to beat you with his arm down the field because uh, Max Duggan, he's the best dual threat guy Oklahoma's seen since Adrian Martinez. So that's going to be a big challenge for Oklahoma on Saturday in terms of facing that TCU offense. It'll be interesting to see um... – yeah, how this defense responds. My, my biggest fear, I think, heading into the weekend on both sides of the ball is, is obviously the hangover effect, right? Like coming off a huge win, uh, going into a week where there's a quarterback controversy, like where's this team's mentality? Um, I, I worry about that a little bit heading into this week. But yeah, if, if you can do what you're supposed to do, if you can keep the momentum going on the defensive side of the ball to stop that two-headed monster like you were talking about, Tyler, then can can the back end of this secondary clean up their act from what we saw against Texas? Um, that's, I think, going to be a huge challenge. I, I don't think this is a pushover game. I think TCU is going to come to play, and it's going to be a battle in Norman. Yeah, I think the, this is kind of a prove-it game for the defense. We've seen two straight performances of maybe not the best uh, football. Um, the second half was great against Texas, but let's see a whole game of that against uh, a TCU team that's got some weapons. Um, you know, they're a very good running team. Um, Max Duggan, you know, isn't passing for the most yards per game necessarily, but certainly capable of, of doing some things. And, you know, this defense is getting, you know, lit up by Skylar Thompson two weeks ago. So it's certainly possible that could happen again, but we need to see a step in the right direction back to the defense we saw in the first couple of weeks. Yeah, when you flip it over to the other side of the ball, you know, when, when OU trots out there, you know, the storyline, all the focus is going to be on, you know, which quarterback's going to take the first snap. But guys, when looking at this TCU defense, they're ranked in the bottom half of the Big 12 in quite a few statistical categories. And this is a rush defense that's given up over 200 yards a game. B. John torched him two weeks ago. I think Kennedy Brooks is going to have an opportunity on Saturday night to put up another big-time performance like what we saw against Texas. And there's three guys when looking at TCU's defense that really stick out to me. And basically, they've got one at all three levels uh, on this defense for Gary Patterson. Um, you know, defensive end, Ochon Mathis, 6'5", 260. He's kind of a speed rush guy. He's very quick. He has the opportunity to maybe give some of our tackles fits on the, out on the edge. And guys, um, linebacker D winners, six foot one, two hundred thirty pounds. He's leading the team in tackles this year, uh, tackles for loss. He's got a sack as well as an interception. It's going to be very important for Caleb or Spencer to always account for where he is, where he's lining up across the ball from them. And guys, my favorite player on this defense is at the cornerback position. He's going to look like Buki Radley Hiles when he's out there. He's five foot nine, one hundred seventy pounds, but. He's not afraid to come up there and, you know, put his nose in the dirt. He does have 26 tackles. He leads the team in interceptions on the year. So uh, he's, a, he's a ball hawk, and he's one that uh, OU's going to have to account for on Saturday. And, guys, for me, it's real simple in this one for when Oklahoma is on offense. Run the football. In the last three games, TCU has given up 350 rushing yards to SMU, 272 to Texas, and 214 this past weekend to Texas Tech. Feed the ball to Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray to open up the play action for Caleb Williams. We've seen Lincoln Riley torch Gary Patterson's teams over the last five years. I think Saturday should be no different. Yeah, 
run the damn ball. That's got to be the the mindset regardless of who's quarterback. I would, and, and this is obviously, I think I'd lean more this way if, if Caleb is announced the starter. I would love to see more of an impact from Eric Gray. I think with a mobile quarterback, his role expands. I would mm-hmm. love to see him take some of the weight off of Kennedy Brooks' shoulders. Um, listen, I'd love to see that every single week from Kennedy. Is that realistic in today's football? Not totally sure. Um, so I'd love to see whether him or, hey, guys, Marcus Major, uh, could, could he come in and make an impact in, in a game like this? But Kennedy is is, is forming himself into a um, – how do you how do you describe Kennedy Brooks? Lincoln Riley couldn't even do it today, so I'm not even going to try. But he is a very underappreciated superstar on this team. Um, but but he's got to have some help from those other two guys. And um, I think a mobile quarterback can, can open that up and help those potential two other guys make more of an impact. So I'd love to see Eric Gray – Marcus Major, those guys really, um, you know, step up to the plate this week. Y'all stole the words right out of my mouth. Uh, do you want to see some more Marcus Major this week, potentially? Um, and then TCU giving up 5.2 yards of carry. Um, absolutely un Gary Patterson like defense from TCU. So let's take advantage of that and just keep it on the ground. Over under two and a half shirts that Gary Patterson goes through. I know it's going to be a cool night in Norman on Saturday, but over under two and a half shirts that that man sweats through. If, if he changes his shirt three times that means one of those times will be on the sideline it's possible let's say for the sake of everybody let's say under yeah let's let's hope for the under <laughs> yeah. take your take your binoculars if you want to uh, partake in that site so yes. uh but yeah that we'll uh, put a bow on that for tcu that'll be a big one for oklahoma and a chance for you know if caleb williams is that guy a chance for this team to you know start to gain the momentum and start to build a uh, build this into a championship caliber football team that can go into the month of November, uh, that championship November, and you know kind of put their foot, uh, you know, squarely on the on the throat of other teams in the Big Twelve. So, Corbin, let's wrap it up with beers and bets, man. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, all of us had a pretty mundane week last week. All of us going two and three. We've seen better. Tyler's seen worse. So, you know, it's all um, – <laughs> I couldn't help it. Sorry. Uh, it's all, you know, just going on flow. But, Tyler, you're hanging in there, man. Um, you know, all of us are uh, are pretty status quo. So, going through the records, what we got so far, uh, myself leading the way with 2014-1 overall. Adam hanging in there at 18-17 and 17 overall. And Tyler coming up at 14 <laughs> Uh, can't forget the uh, the little wash there. So, guys, heading into uh, this week, clearly we have been a roller coaster as far as picks. But Adam, start us off uh, with what you've got going on this week. Yeah, I thought about just blindly pointing at games and picking winners this week because I am struggling. But I decided to spend an hour and overthink every single one of these. So nice. Number one, <laughs> uh, Pitt at Virginia Tech. I'm taking the over on the 58. Uh, Pittsburgh is the number one scoring offense in the country. They've not failed to score more than 40 points so far this year. Virginia Tech's a solid defense, but I think the 58 is pretty easy over for me. Yeah, pick number one for me. Uh, I'm going to Big Ten country in Michigan, favored by five points going on the road to Indiana. Uh, Michigan State's undefeated on the year, 6-0. and I know that's got to make someone close to you, Adam, very, very happy. Uh, Michigan State, they are putting up points this year. It kind of feels like an out-of-body experience. When I can turn on the TV and I can see Michigan State scoring 30-plus points, in five of their six games. So five is a lot of points on the road, but I like the Spartan defense. So combine that with their rushing attack. I like Michigan State to go on the road and cover the five points against Indiana. 
I'm heading down to Austin, guys. Oklahoma State at Texas. One, I'm honestly just really excited for this game, to be frank. But uh, one thing that has been consistent, regardless of win or loss, since Casey Thompson has been quarterback, that Texas offense has put up points. I know Oklahoma State has played well on the defensive side of the ball, but I think this is going to be another Big 12 shootout type of game. So I'm going to take the over 60 points there. Don't love it, but hopefully uh, Texas doesn't have a hangover in a negative way and and cost me that one. Who are we cheering for in that game? I don't want to see Texas again this season. I'd prefer to play. I'm pulling for Oklahoma State, yeah. State as well. I've got them on my card a little bit later. Yeah. Whoever wins that locks themselves as like the front runner. The two seed. Yeah. 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 Obviously they both still have to play Iowa State, but if you, you know, you knock off Texas, then you can afford to slip up one time uh the rest of the regular season in the Big Twelve. Do yeah. both those guys go to Ames? I know Oklahoma State does. Yes, Texas does as well. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it will be. Is it though? I think so. (laughs) Yeah, for October, we'll see. Yeah, number two for me, Navy, uh, ten and a half point dog at Memphis. Both these teams basically just play one possession games. They've been playing one possession games all year, no matter who they've played, and so uh, kind of a contrast of styles. But I like Navy to be able to keep it within one score. I've noticed that you guys, you've been betting on a lot of service academies this year. So, uh, We're just very we'll... patriotic. Thank you. <laughs> USA. Yeah. Pick number two for me. I'm going out to the SEC, Texas A&M, going on the road to Columbia to take on Missouri. Missouri's 3-3 three and three on the year, 0-2 in conference play. We saw Tennessee hang 62 on Missouri on their home field just a week ago. I don't think A&M is explosive enough on offense to get to that 62 number, but I do think Zach Calzada – and that rushing attack for AM is going to be way too much for the Tigers in this one. So give me the Aggies and that strong defense, particularly up front, to cover the nine points uh, in a good road win for them on Saturday. I thought about I'm taking worried. Missouri there. I, I just worried about the hangover. That it's just an Aggie thing to do, um, is to come out and struggle against a Missouri team because guys, listen, I mean, Calzada was the quarterback when they played out here and they barely beat Colorado, who is awful. So, you know, I have no idea what to expect from AM. I hope they cover for your sake, Tyler. But I just, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to stay away from this game completely. Uh, pick two for me, guys. I, you know, my rocket science is basically to pick against bad teams. So I'm going out to SEC as well. Vandy at South Carolina. I don't think South Carolina is that good, but I think Vandy's that bad. Uh, so they're tar- starting to turn into the Kansas for me of, uh, of the SEC. So I'm going to take South Carolina minus 16 and a half. I like that pick. And I almost added that, but I almost went with the under on it. I know that South Carolina in their last five games, they've all gone under at home. So might be a good pick there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, along those themes, I'm stealing some strategy from Corbin here. Yeah. I'm taking Texas Stop Tech. <laughs> I, I knew you were going to pick this game, but Texas Tech minus 16 and a half at Kansas. I'm going off simply of the reason of you have to scroll all the way down to 128 out of 130 teams to find the Kansas rushing defense. Texas Tech has Sir Roderick Thompson back. Um, I think they're going to run all over the Jayhawks. Yeah, um, if there's one thing that we know, death taxes and betting against Kansas football every single week. So that's kind of uh, – we'll get that put on Corbin's headstone. Uh, but, yeah, pick, pick number three for me. I'm going back out to the Big Ten. Purdue traveling on the road to Kinnick Stadium to take on Iowa. I was I was favored by 12 in this game. Big win for the Hawkeyes last week, knocking off number four Penn State. I'm a little worried about a hangover in this one for the Hawkeyes, but Purdue is a really, really bad team, especially on offense. They've scored just 13 points in three straight weeks. That's bad news when you're going up against one of the top defenses in the country in Iowa. So, 
it's a it's 12 is a big number in a Big Ten matchup that's not including Ohio State's, but give me the Hawkeyes to cover 12 points in this one. I, I, there's so many of these games of these teams coming off huge wins. That 12 doesn't seem big enough, and that scares me um, because I don't think Purdue is very good. So, yeah, I stayed away with the stayed away from that one as well. Um, staying in SEC country for me, um, Bama has struggled on the road all year long. But if there's anybody I trust coming off a loss, it's Nick Saban. Um, so I'm going to take Bama minus 17 at Mississippi State. Uh, Adam and you and I hinted at this before the pod after watching that game. Nick Saban didn't seem to be all that disappointed after losing in College Station. So I wonder if he's trying to send a message to his team to refocus. And that is a very, very dangerous um, program when that's the case. So give me Bama and the points there. Yeah. Uh, this next one makes me a little nervous. Opened at uh, Army plus 10. It's now up to Army plus 14. I'm going to roll with the, the Knights here over uh, Wisconsin. Uh, I think it's going to be a one-possession game. These two defenses combined give up 95 yards per game on the ground. So the over-under was only at 39. That's like the lowest <laughs> college over-under I think I've, I've seen in a long time. Um, but Wisconsin is just not it right now. Um, so having to go face the triple option now, I, I think uh, I think Army can hold it within one possession. Is Wisconsin the, the most overrated team from this year's preseason? At least in my book, they were. I had them in the playoffs. Yeah, Wisconsin or Iowa State. Yeah. Iowa State's been one. That, that's and, and, you know, that was another thing, too, when looking at this Iowa pick that I had last time. It's a, coming off a big win against Penn State, and then you might have a look ahead to towards next week when they take on Wisconsin, the game that's always tough. So we'll see. But I like that pick, Adam. No, next one for me, number four. Um, Corbin, you had this one on your card earlier. You took the the over-under side of this one. But I'm going to Oklahoma State at Texas. Texas favored by five and a half. This is one that I've tried to talk myself into leaving this one off the card, but it just didn't happen. Oklahoma State's five and zero. Oh. Mike Gundy has had plenty of success in his time uh, in away games in Austin, but I think that this is the week where Oklahoma gets expo- or Oklahoma State gets exposed a little bit. They should have lost to Tulsa. They should have lost to Boise State. I think that Texas is pissed off. They feel like they blew that game last week and gave it away to OU, and I think they're going to take that out on Oklahoma State on Saturday. I hope I'm wrong. I'm pulling for Oklahoma State, the fan side of me, and looking in terms of OU down the road. But I'm expecting another big day from Bijan and Xavier Worthy. So give me Texas to cover the five and a half. Interesting character test there early on under Starkeesian in this Texas program. Um, one thing I was impressed with under Herman, when OU took that 48 to 41 lead, that team would have quit. They mm-hmm. didn't. And so I'm very curious to see how they respond this week. I'm excited for that game, regardless of the outcome. Um, I've always got one game on here that you, I couldn't tell you why I'm picking it. Uh, San Diego State minus nine against uh, San Jose State. I've had bad luck picking anybody on the West Coast this entire season, but I'm going to try it again. San Diego State, I think I'm, I'm 1-0 with them this year. I don't know much about either, but I know San Jose State's not very good. So just picking against a bad team on this one, guys. I almost picked San Diego State just to spite San Jose State for burning me last week, but uh, tried to stay away from my emotions there. Um, instead, I'm going to a different West Coast game, Arizona State at Utah. It's a pick 'em, um, and really, what I'm riding on here is Arizona State. I think has the better quarterback in Jaden Daniels. Their defense has been playing really well. Utah's going with Cameron Rising right now, a familiar name for OU fans and Texas fans, I guess, but um, a guy that you know still lacks some experience. So I think Arizona State can uh, pull out the win in Salt Lake City. I like that. I had that one on my card. That was my sixth pick, but I kicked it off right at the end. So I think that that's a good one. A surprise that it is a pick 'em. 
honestly thought that Arizona State was going to be favored in that matchup. But yeah. really nice, Adam. To wrap it up for me, um, I told myself I wasn't going to do it, um, but I'm staying right here in Norman. TCU traveling up here to take on Oklahoma. This line opened up at 11.5. It's climbed all the way up to 13.5 as we sit right here. Uh, TCU's 1-5 against the spread this season, and Oklahoma has only covered one spread against an FBS opponent. That was this past weekend against Texas. So I think Oklahoma found something on Saturday in the second half of that football game, in the running game. And, guys, TCU hasn't been able to stop the run all year long. I expect a big day out of Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray. The strength of TCU's team are their running backs, and I trust our front seven, especially with Stutzman back in the lineup, to do what they do best. So going out on a limb here, don't feel too good about it, but uh, give me the Sooners to cover the 13-and-a-half at home. Yeah, ending guys the way the only way I know how it's going against Kansas Jayhawks. So Adam kind of stole my thunder. That's fine. If it goes wrong, I want it on record is completely Adam's fault because I've been perfect against uh, Kansas this year. So uh, that's fine. Maybe this is some gamesmanship by Adam. I appreciate that. So Texas Tech minus 16 and a half at Kansas. What a boring game to watch or be at. I will not be watching this game at all, but uh, Got to keep it going because it's working for me so far. But, guys, transition before we wrap things up like we do always. Um, OUTCU score predictions. Very curious to hear what you guys think the score is going to be because we don't even know who the quarterback's going to be. I'm going to go first in this one since I was the only guy on the podcast last week that had the balls to pick OU to beat Texas. So let me go first in this one. Um, you're right. I have no idea what to expect. I think that Caleb Williams is, is going to be the starting quarterback. He should be the starting quarterback. And like I said, I think that OU found something collectively as a team, um, but especially on offense in the running game. I think having Caleb Williams back out there, that opens things up. The defense has to account for the quarterback running threat. Um, TCU is one of the worst teams in the Big 12 in terms of stopping the run. So I'm going to go OU 42, TCU 24 in this one. This one's really tough to predict. I mean, we don't know. We think Caleb Williams is starting, uh, but I also think there's just so much mind, you know, games going on in regards to coming off a huge emotional win. Um, you know, Spencer rolls out there. What is going on in his head? Uh, do we see some regression to the mean? Does Gary Patterson throw some defensive things out that, you know, are, is going to confuse Caleb Williams a little bit more? <laughs> Um, just I have no clue what to think of this, but I am still picking OU um, by the 11 points, which I think was where the spread opened. I've got OU 34, TCU 23. Yeah, can we give like a score prediction of Caleb's quarterback and if Spencer's quarterback? Are we doing that or are we just going to go roll, for it? Roll with it? 50 to no. nothing if Caleb plays. That's, that's <laughs> right, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm very similar to to what you said, Adam. I I think – I think Caleb's going to be the quarterback. That's what I want. I actually think Spencer's going to be the guy, but I, I, I would love to see Caleb try it out there if that's the case. I think this is you know a two-score victory. Uh, I do think you're right. If, if Caleb is the guy, I can see Gary Patterson confusing him a bit. But the ultimate factor to getting less confused in college football is when you can freaking run, and Caleb can freaking run. Um, and so I do think that kind of levels the playing field quite a bit. So I've got OU 37, TCU 24. Hopefully, guys, we're all right this week. I know you comes out with another victory, but uh, Tyler, you want to wrap us up? Yeah, wrap it up. And uh, before we close it out here, I do want to mention one thing. Did have some big news on the recruiting front just a couple hours ago. OU, uh, they got a commitment from their highest defensive recruit um, since Lincoln Riley took over as head coach here. So five-star Gabriel uh, Dindy, um, big one for, for OU out of Lakeland, Florida. Um, 
oh, you going to the SEC? You got to have those type of athletes in the trenches on the defensive side of the football. So big one for OU. Um, shout out Coach Thibodeau on that one. But now let's wrap it up, guys. That's going to do it for tonight's episode of the Mainline Podcast. Uh, if you've made it this far, like, subscribe, give us a five-star review, give us your thoughts on the podcast. Always enjoy interacting with you guys. And if you don't follow us on Twitter already, go on, on there right now, at the Mainline Pod one um, we've seen a tremendous amount of uptick in our Twitter following, in our interaction. So shout out to you guys, Adam Corbin, uh, especially you, Corbin, doing the live tweeting as the game is going on. But uh, no, it's a big one on Saturday night, 6.30 prime time. We've got Fowler, Herbie, and Holly Rowe. We'll see what kind of shot Holly Rowe takes at uh, Lincoln Riley this week. But uh, uh, no, it's, it's going to be a fun one on Saturday. We should have talked about that in the podcast. But we'll be right back here next Tuesday night to, to wrap it up and recap Hopefully what's a big time win and we'll do it right here on the mainline podcast. 